Welcome to the Think It, Make It podcast. We're all about turning your ideas into reality with a CNC router, tips and tricks, new products, interviews with the pros, and much, much more. Whether you're using a CNC for business or hobby, we have great stuff in store for you. Let's get on with the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Think It, Make It podcast. My name is Eric, and I'm here today just with Greg. Bobby's actually taking a couple days off. So um, we uh, we are breaking a little bit from the challenge um, concept that we've been doing on each episode uh, since Bobby's not here, and he's actually the next one in the hot seat to explain his uh, his project. Greg and I had come up with some, some topics of some things that we wanted to talk about, and uh, one of the things we want to talk about today is what to expect when you're expecting to buy CNC. a CNC. <laughs> so um, I think there's a lot that people don't think about. Like you, I guess you 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 want to get a CNC machine. You know what you can do with it. Um, you know you're buying it because you have an end goal in mind. You want to make something to sell. You want to start a business. Uh, you've got a hobby that you want to use it for. Uh, those are all, that's great. Uh, you know, that, and, and that's awesome. We deal with people every day that are buying machines for those reasons. Um, but what a lot of people don't understand is kind of like what to expect. Like you're, it's, it's not a photocopier. It's not, uh, as simple as, uh, just put it on your bench, um, toss a piece of wood on it and hit a button and you've got a, a full working product. Uh, there, there are quite a few things that over time, you don't need to become an expert at all of them immediately, but you have to be aware that there are some steps and stages to getting involved in any CNC machine. And it, you know, just to kind of mentally prepare yourself that this is what I I'm going to be looking for. It's not as simple as a photocopier. You've got to, uh, you know, take some time to learn some stuff. So we want to kind of talk about that today and, um, hopefully, you know, this helps some of you guys that are, are looking to buy uh, buy a machine, and and we can kind of unwrap some of the myths behind, um, you know, owning a CNC router. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, well, I think one of the first things that uh, kind of comes to mind is, you know, you gotta you gotta first of all, the thing you gotta do is you gotta pick out your CNC machine. You gotta decide what you want, and uh, when making that decision. Uh, there's a lot of good reputable companies out there. Uh, this isn't a sway to one or another. It's just some things that you should keep in mind. For instance, you know, some machines like uh, like desktop machines, there's a lot that are available in kit form. And then there's other ones that are available as a ready to run. So I guess you have to ask yourself, uh, first off, do I want to look at companies that sell kit machines? Do I want to build one? Do I want to take the time to put it together? Do I want to learn about... Uh, adjusting it and all of that stuff. Do I have the time uh, or the patience or the experience to put something together that that's a little bit on the technical side? I get asked that every single day. Should I, should I pay to have you guys assemble it? Should I do it myself? And there are pros and cons to both sides. Absolutely. Um, you know, the cons of building it yourself is it does take time. It takes a little bit of time if you were to go with a kit series machine um, but the the pros of that are you learn every inch, every screw, every square foot of that machine. Right. You know something eventually is going to go wrong. Um, 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say nothing's ever gonna go wrong. Something will go wrong. Or need to be adjusted. Or need or to be adjusted. Or... It may be your fault. It may not be your fault. Right. But knowing the machine that gives you a huge leg up, um, the the downside the downside takes forever. You know, it can take anywhere from from a day, a couple days, depending on the the kit. Um, but with that, you learn a lot now. And on the flip side of that, if you are a business, if you know what you're doing, you simply can't afford that. That's Having right. a machine built for you saves you a bunch of time. Um, but that may be a little bit of an upfront savings, whereas if something goes down in the future, um, may take you a little bit longer to get in there. It's still doable. Right. You know, it's still absolutely something that you can do, but may take you longer. And, and that's what you got to think about. Now, you know, knowing the industry, I mean, there's everything from small, little, like 12 inch long uh, desktop machines all the way up to, you know, there's there's some companies that make uh, very large kit machines, you know, five by 10 feet or whatever. So, you know, you, you have to also look at that. I mean, it's one thing to build a small desktop machine that you can kind of spread all the parts out on your dining room table and put it together over a couple of evenings. There's another to be working with parts that are 10, 10, 12 feet long. And are you doing it by yourself? Yeah. You, oh yeah. You know, can you pick up a, an eight foot extrusion by yourself? Right. And, and handle it without bending it or dropping it. So a lot, a lot of, a lot of different things, you know, to consider. So if, if you're, you know, that'd be the first thing that I would ask myself is, you know, what am I looking for? Do I want something just to plug it in and, and start using it right away? Or do I, do I want to take the time? And usually there's a, a cost savings too. If you do get a kit machine, they tend to be a little bit less expensive and that's from any company. They, that's just, that's the nature of, and why they offer a kit machine. It lowers the cost, the barrier to entry um, costs a little bit. So, you know, once I think once you get past that and you decide, okay, I, I, you know what, I'm okay with building a machine on my own. Well, then the next thing is you got to look at what size machine do you want? Yep. In this case, size does matter. Yep. And that's, yeah, absolutely. And that's, and it's not the size machine you need today. It's the size machine you think you'll need a year or two from now, because most companies that have a kit machine, it, it's not really expandable. So once you buy that size, you're kind of stuck with that size. And if you decide, okay, I really should have bought something bigger. Now you have to, you know, either uh, sell your machine or buy a second machine. Uh, you know, maybe there are some companies that do have expansion kits. I mean, that's something you should certainly uh, look into if, if that's an option, but yeah, you would, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to spend money today and then regret it tomorrow. And so, you know, a lot of people that we talk to, they're buying a CNC machine. They don't even really know what they want to do specifically with it. And then once they start using it, once you cut your first project and you're like sitting there, it's like magic. Like this thing you just drew on the screen is all of a sudden becoming a tangible product right in front of you. Once you do that, something happens in your brain and you, it just opens up the floodgates of ideas and, you know, you're, you're like, oh man, I just made this really cool sign on my machine. You know, next thing you know, I can make a bookcase with this, but then your machine's not big enough to do that. So keep in mind, you know, what are you looking to do now? What do you think you might be interested in doing uh, down the road with your machine? Uh, you know, can your machine, uh, if you do buy a smaller machine, can does the design of the machine support tiling? So for instance, if you did want to do a 10 foot long uh, sign on a three foot long machine, can the machine allow you to machine part of the sign and then index it forward three feet and do another part and then index it again? 
which um, is a great feature if you want to just do something one off here and there. Right. You can tile. It's a little bit of a pain. It, it's one extra step. It can be a little tricky with the registration and everything. But if you're doing one sign a year, that requires, you know, extra length. I mean, it's an awesome feature. Yeah, it'll pay for itself. So that's another thing. I mean, sometimes you can get away with uh, a smaller machine to do longer projects, but certainly if you had a two by three foot machine, you can't expect to ever do a four by eight foot sheet of plywood. Now, we're not saying you should buy a five by 10 machine just because you think you might do a bookcase in the future. Correct. But it does help to kind of generalize, you know, am I going to be doing large signs where some restaurants may be needing this, or am I just going to be doing little trinkets where I may not need anything bigger than a desktop machine? Right. And some people will decide, like, based on where they're living, they just don't have the space for a larger machine. And, you know, I don't expect you to, to sit there and say, okay, you know, I'm buying this machine this size today, uh, but, you know, in two years, I could be moving into a big mansion or something. Like, I, it's not that. So there are cases where buy the machine that'll meet your requirements for this given space and, and, you know, situation that you presently have. Uh, and you know, if three years down the road, you decide to buy a house and now all of a sudden you've got a workshop, well then you entertain, maybe you want to get a bigger machine that, that that's a logical next step. And it's not something you're really kicking yourself on. I think um, the main point is if you're, if you're deciding, you know, if you can't sleep because it's a decision between one size versus the next size up is a couple hundred more dollars. I would always say spend that extra money ahead of time because it is going to be worth it. Yep. Absolutely. Always going to be worth it. Now, 10 grand more, that's that's a whole different story. But that one size, that couple sizes up, always, always go for that. And and then you just mentioned, uh, you know, the next thing would be the money, right? So you, you decided that you want a kit or ready to run. Now you've decided, okay, I need a two by three or two by four foot machine or, or you know, a smaller machine or larger. It doesn't matter. Uh, then you got to start looking at price. What's your budget? Right, because sometimes you may want a four by eight foot machine, but you can't afford a four by eight foot machine, or maybe you want to, you know, you you want to pay cash. You don't want to have any debt on it, or maybe it's for business purposes and you need it. So then it's okay. You're going to lease it. You're going to finance it, and you're going to pay for it that way. Everybody's different, and that's just something you need to keep in mind. Um, you know, the machine, and it's not just the machine. So when you're thinking about costs, that's important too. Um, you know, most machines, when you go to their, their webpage and you look at it, there's a cost for the base machine. Then there's add-ons and upgrades. And then maybe the spindle isn't included. When the spindle in this case is the power head that we're using that spins the cutting bit. Uh, sometimes it could be called a, just a plain router that you would get from Lowe's or Home Depot. And sometimes it's a true... CNC spindle. So that's just something, you know, else to keep in mind It just because the machine is $2,000. By the time you start adding stuff to it, you might've added another thousand dollars to that, to that price. Then on top of that, you need to make sure you have a computer. Most, uh, CNC machines are going to require some sort of a, a windows type laptop or, or desktop computer to run their software. Some machines are uh, have are pendant driven, so the software is kind of internal, so you don't need a computer. But also, don't let that fool you because when you're when you go with a CNC machine that has a pendant, you're 100% relying upon the operating system and 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 all of the features or the limitations that that particular uh, system has. When you work with a system that's using something like UCCNC or Mach three you have the ability of a huge network of people around the world that make expansion modules and all kinds of customizations you can do. And, you know, you need to look at things like that. Uh, don't, don't find yourself painted in a corner that you got this great machine and you got, 
you you got it within the budget that you want, but uh, now you realize after a year, uh, you know, I want to add an automatic tool changer to it. And there's no way to do that because either the manufacturer doesn't support it or the software they're using doesn't support it. So take a look at options that are available for these CNC machines as well. Like you don't, if you're brand new to CNC, I don't recommend going to a company that has a, a lot of multifunction capability and buying every option they have because you're just going to blow yourself out of the water trying to learn everything. But keep in mind of, of, of options that they offer because some of those things may be really important to you down the road, like adding a laser or adding a 3D printer or adding an engraving uh, system or something like that. Those things are, are important, and, and down the road you may need uh, to go do that. And it's nice to know that, oh, well, I need to laser engrave something. I can buy a relatively inexpensive laser head instead of going out and having to buy an entire laser machine for that one particular application. So keep that in mind. Um, you know, automatic tool changer, I mentioned, that's an important thing too. And not a lot of companies offer that, especially in the de desktop arena. Why would you want an automatic tool changer on your machine? Well, if you're running jobs, like if you're doing CNC signs, you're not, you're, I don't know of any way to do a CNC sign, like a decent one, without at least one tool change. You know, you might have a V-bit if you're V-carving, and then some sort of a compression end mill or up or down cut to cut your profile out. Oh, yeah. No, we're talking five, six minimum sometimes. Yeah. I mean, some, depending on how intricate you are and if you want to do radius edges and all that stuff, yeah, you could have five or six different tools. Now, keep in mind, every time it's time to change a tool, you, you have to, you know, Use a wrench, take the tool out of the collet, put a new tool in, re -zero and it's doable. It's it. it, it's something we we almost recommend at first is to get used to it because then when you get to the point where you know everything else and and you you're at that level where you want to save some time, the automatic tool changer just just blows through all of that. Right. Whereas at first it might be a little bit overwhelming, and I think that's the worst thing you can do as a CNCer is buy everything to start with. Right. You know, buy every attachment they have, every accessory because it's incredibly overwhelming. Yeah, it's overwhelming and. It put it can put a drain uh, it, it on. It can put a drain on a lot of things. It, it'll put a drain on support for that particular company because you might have to be on the phone with them a lot more than you normally would. It can be overwhelming, and then you know you're 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 trying a bunch of things and it's not quite working. You get discouraged. Now you know you 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 say, oh, I've I've got this machine. It's no good. It's just a paperweight. I don't know what to do with it. Um, it's the worst feeling you can have is to have all this stuff and not know what to do. And that's why we always recommend going with the basic stuff. Yeah. Start with the basics, get proficient, get professional with that stuff and add as you go, right. because you're going to have the most success and you're going to have the better experience like that. You know, we've been doing this for, uh, almost nine years now. And, uh, we've talked to every possible customer there is, uh, you know, and I, you name it from big, massive corporations, fortune 500 companies, to little mom and pop shops, to children who are starting businesses and coming and buying a machine. And so we've, we've heard it all and we, we've, we've got the experience with people and we know that, you know, what, what the learning curve is. We know that we've never let anybody not be successful. Um, it just depends if, if, you know, if you're just doing uh, basic CNC routing and you call us up, that's just one thing we have to worry about. If you're, you're doing CNC routing and you've got 15 different attachments for your machine. Well, now that's a whole bunch of different things that you've got to learn before you learn the basics. And so, yes, we deal with a lot of uh, options and accessories on machines we sell. 
Uh, and you know, every once in a while, I'll find myself talking somebody out of buying an accessory now because I know, you know, just based on a conversation I'm having with the person, and I kind of get a feel for their their skill set, their patience level, um, you know, their experience and design and all that. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't. It's not important enough for me to make an additional sale to run the risk of that customer not being successful. So. Um, that's just something that we do here. It's kind of built in our culture. And I, uh, I, I would rather have you postpone buying a thousand dollar option for your machine by six months. And then when you actually buy it, you're ready for it and you can appreciate what it does and you've mastered everything else. Knowing that it's always an option in the future. It's always on the table. Exactly. So yeah, we're, we're not, it's not, we're not going anywhere. And I would think other companies that are doing that too, you, you, you know, that's something to definitely <clears throat> consider so that, you know, you're not buying something that's going to be obsoleted. Now, and, with that said, what do you, what do you think the basics are? What, if you were a, a very a starter CNC or you had an idea of what you wanted to do, there are some basic things that you will need. I think number one is going, you decide you want a CNC. Yeah. You'd need a machine. So you need to decide, decide what size machine you're going to need. That's a big factor. Now, basics after that, you're going to need something to cut with. So you're going to need a router, spindle, something to actually do the work. You're going to need tooling for that. You're going to need your end mills and your cutting bits. Yep. End mills and cutting bits. Um, I would definitely recommend going with uh, a dust collection exhaust adapter at first. That is almost key. It's not 100% necessary if you're in the middle of a garage, but if you're on your kitchen table, it is an absolute must. Yep. What else? What else would... Well, I mean, the basic thing, so let's, let's break that down a bit because we were talking about before about pricing and, you know, again, if that machine is two grand or three grand or whatever the cost is, yes, then you've got to look at the options that you're going to need. Does it come with a spindle or doesn't it? If it doesn't, then you've got to add the cost of a spindle or a router. And that's a must. Can't can't do anything without a spindle. Exactly. You can't, the machine's useless without it. Then you need to look at, uh, now I have, I have a router or I have a spindle on my machine. Well, you need something to cut with. And the type of end mills, the, the type of cutting tools we use, we call end mills. Uh, some of them are called, you know, V-bits v and V-carbon router bits. And there's a bunch of different terminology for it. For the most part, it's an end mill. And a lot of beginners will, will come and say, well, you know, can I just get like a drill bit and use it like, you know, from Lowe's or Home Depot? And it's, it's not, a drill bit is not an end mill. An end mill is meant to be uh, moved laterally and you cut on the side where drill bit is meant to plunge straight up and down. Yep. So You'll see there's a tip, tip on, a, on a drill bit that will, it cuts the material from straight down. Whereas an end mill, the worst part about an end mill is going straight down. Your initial cut, you do not want to go fast, hard because there's no tip on most bits. Now there are some, you know, V-bit stuff like that, but general, in general, end mills are designed to cut from the side. Correct. And, and that's, so that's an important distinction. And, we, we've done uh, some videos on that. We've done, uh, we have some white papers and blog posts and things that we've explained that to people. But you, for the most part, you probably will not be able to go to a Lowe's or a Home Depot to pick up cutting tools that you can use on your CNC machine. You may be able to find router bits. Router bits are close, some yeah, of them. You, you can, in a pinch, um, I've sent people to Lowe's or, or Home Depot to grab like a quarter inch straight bit. So it would have no spiral flutes. It'll have straight cutting edges on it. And probably that, no bearing on it as well. Yeah. You definitely want to make sure there's no bearing. This is just a straight up, uh, straight bit that you would use. And 
that will work on a router, um, on a CNC routing machine. So there's, there's no issues there. I mean, it, it could at least get you started if you ordered the machine and like forgot to order tooling. You could go to your local Lowe's and Home Depot, pick up a quarter inch straight bit, and that's going to get you started cutting something. It's probably not going to be optimal because uh, that that geometry uh, has its place, but it's not the greatest for a lot of materials. So, you know, that's something to consider. A, um, a 90 degree half inch V-bit you can also get at Lowe's or Home Depot uh, for doing some basic V-carving. Uh, that's, that's another bit that's readily available. But Beyond that, there, there's not a whole lot of options that you can get from a big box store to, to buy end mills. Now, if you had a Woodcraft or a Rockler or something near you, you could probably go there and pick up some CNC-based tooling if locally. Otherwise, you're going to order online. Now, we do an awful lot with Amana Tool, and that tends to be our go-to for both personal, our own projects here, and what we recommend to our customers. And they have thousands of different uh, end mills and CNC router bits for specifically for a CNC machine. So that, that could be an entirely different podcast itself. And it will CNC be bits. Yeah, we will cover that in, in advance. But... Oh God, we could do 12 episodes yeah. on that because once you start to dive into it, you know, there's some general bits Two flute up cuts are, are very generalized, which we've talked about before in the past. But once you start to specialize with O flutes and, and single flutes for certain different materials, aluminums, plastic, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. So you, you know, keep in mind now, so again, when you're keeping track of how, your, your budget, right? So you, you got to have the machine, you got to have a spindle, you need a computer, and you're going to need some cutting tools. I mean, those are the four basic things. Actually, sorry, there is one more, and that's software. We didn't software. even talk about yep. software. So, you know, now you've got a machine, you've got a spindle, you've got some cutting tools. Uh, it's all sitting there, but you don't have anything to design in. Like, what are you going to actually make on your machine? Now, if you have a 3D printer... I know when I got my first 3D printer, I was um, happy to see a website like called like Thingiverse where you can go to and you could just download a 3D model and then print it out of whatever that is. And, it, you know, websites like Thingiverse are really cool because they they have tens and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of projects that, you you know, if you're looking for something, chances are you can find something that's close that's already been designed to be 3D printed. But with a CNC router... There are websites you can go to to get ready to run files and projects, but most people are buying a router because they want to customize stuff. So it would do you no good to go and pick up a file that says, you know, happy birthday, Greg, if you don't know anybody whose name is Greg and you don't have any software that can change the name. So maybe the style of the sign uh, is really cool, but if you can't edit the text, then you've got a problem. So we use, um, not exclusively, but the majority, uh, we use Vetric products. So like Vetric VCarve Pro or Cut2D or uh, VCarve Desktop, Aspire. Those are software that we tend to work with a lot. And we're extremely knowledgeable about it because we know that when we sell a machine to a customer, um, the last thing I want to do to any customer is say, okay, if you have a problem with the machine, you call me. But if you have a question about the software and designing your job, you have to call Vetric. And oh, by the way, they're in the UK, so they're six hours ahead of us. Um, the, the people at Vetric are amazing. They're awesome. And they're super helpful and knowledgeable. But you got to keep in mind that if, if, that, if you're working with a company that can't help you with the software that they're recommending, then you are going to have to plan a six-hour you know, time gap 
um, to deal with a company that's in another country. Now, you could argue, well, why don't I'll buy a software that's available in the United States? Well, there isn't a lot available in the United States and certainly not as powerful and easy to use as the Vetric line of products. But what you can get is the next best thing. Choose a company that you're going to work with that knows the software as well as they know their machine. Because now when you, you have a problem, you're trying to design something, something's not cutting out right, or, or you can't get the software to do exactly what you want, pick up the phone and call your CNC company. You know, they, they sold you the software, they should be able to support it. And, you know, in, in cases with us, we, we even go as far as to, we'll make a video, a screen video, and we'll send it to you. We'll show you exactly what to do. We'll explain it. Um, that's as big and important of a support issue that we see as, as the, anything to do with the machine itself. So that's, that's the second half of the equation. I mean, the machine right. can be running perfect. You can, in, in our case, you can run UCCNC you can get the machine going, but if you don't know how to design, what can you really do with the machine? Exactly. And then, so that's design, right? So now designing your project Okay, you could use uh, Vetric, you could use SketchUp, you could use AutoCAD. I mean, you could use the um, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, Adobe Illustrator. Mm -hmm. um, then there's other free software that you can get too that that you can design with, and uh, that's to create vectors. So any vector design tool, you'll be able to design something that you could eventually cut out on the CNC machine. But m most software for the CNC routers are not able to take, it's not like you could just import that drawing and hit print and it'll go ahead and spit out that project. You have a whole nother process in there called CAM or computer aided manufacturing. And what you do with a CAM software is you would, you would bring in the vector file for the, the drawing or design from another program. And you would then tell the software what size cutting tool, what size ML you're using. How do you want to cut it on the line, off the line, how fast, how deep, uh, how many passes, um, do you want to do a finish pass there, you know, how many different tools are you going to use? So all of these different things are, are done in a cam program. I think that's the most confusing. I think that's the most shocking part to most people at first. You know, people are used to putting something in a printer and pressing go and it kind of works, but the the cam portion of everything can be extremely overwhelming because there's so much to it. That's where you do your feeds and speeds for your bits. That's where you, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to do a profile? Do you want to do a pocket? Do you want to remove the material inside, outside, all that sort of thing? And right. it's it's incredibly overwhelming and it can be super, super simple. You know, that's, that's what we're, we're almost like preachers here because we preach every day that it's doable. It's, it's simple once you learn the basics, yep. but those basics can seem like a, like a foreign world to a lot of people at first. You know, it's funny because if you talk to an older person and you mentioned CNC now, you know, the, uh, you know, CNC machines, the, what we have today is, is not new. Uh, CNC machines have been around for, for a long time now. However, how we get the CNC to do what we want it to do is, you know, relatively speaking, kind of newer software like Vetric has made it very, very easy for people to learn how to make very complex things without knowing how to code. We get asked that question too. Do I need to know G code? No, not at all. You don't need to know G code at all. It Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt to know a little bit about what the commands. It mean. helps to understand a little bit, but, but for it's the not, first two years here, I didn't know a single line of G code. Yeah, it's absolutely not required. So 
And and that being the case, you know, if you talk to an old timer that's that used to have a tape machine where they would punch cards and put it into a machine to tell it what to do. And there's uh, a lot of people that, you know, you could talk to, they use uh, CNC machines with conversational CADs. So they'll actually take a print, stand at the CNC machine, and they'll do all of the programming right there. Uh, you know, some guys will do it with straight up G code. A lot of respect blows me those away. guys. A lot of respect. Um, when I know, do a simple profile of my name and it's 20,000 lines of code, I cannot imagine how they would ever do that. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's, but it, it's, but there are people that do that. And, uh, you know, straight up G code was one thing. And then you got to conversational cam, which made it a little bit easier, but you're still doing it at the machine. And then you have a full on cam program that lets you do it at your desk. And you can use saw most of them will simulate for you so you can, you know, make changes and then you could see what it's going to look like on the screen. And this is the number one reason why I like the Vetric product, because you can you have the option of designing in the program. So you don't need uh, Adobe Illustrator or anything like that. You can do all your designs within the program, but you can also do the cam within the program. So half the left half of the screen is all your design features your and functions. And the right side of the screen is all of your cam. It's it's the buttons that tell you how you're going to cut and what what type of tool path to use and things like that. And so you can experiment. You can make a change. You can you know if you can if you accidentally uh, want to make a pocket that's uh, 0.2 inches deep and you accidentally type 0.02, you'll see it right away. Oh wait, that pocket doesn't look deep enough. Or if you type 2.0 for some reason. Now you've, you're telling the machine to go down two inches, you know, that will cause a problem on the actual machine, but you'll notice it right away in the simulation. Simulation is amazing. And it is, what's cool about the simulation is if you go and you download a demo copy of a Vetric program now, you can do everything. You can design whatever project you want. You can do all the cam, you can simulate it on the screen. The only thing you can't do is output the G code to run on a CNC machine. But if you order a CNC machine today, you can go get a copy of this software in a demo form. And by the time your CNC arrives, you've now trained yourself how to make projects. You may have 10 or 12 projects already ready to go, just waiting on the machine to come because you can simulate and see what things are going to look like. Oh yeah. If you can, if you can put yourself in that position, you are going to be successful here. Right. Uh, you know, people get frustrated when they get the machine, they get the software all at once, get it together. And then it's just, where do I start? Where do I even begin? If you have projects ready ahead of time, if you know all this stuff and, and you're ready to basically press go when you get the machine, you're going to be happy. You're going to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one thing that, um, you know, you need to keep in mind is you, you, you are going to have to learn, software. If you don't know how to design, um, you know, you're, unless you know somebody that can do it for you, you're going to want to learn because that's kind of the cool part of having um, a CNC router. Now you can make an awful lot of cool stuff with a router without having, being a graphic artist. So I'm not saying you got to be a graphic artist. You got to have any previous design skill or anything. Like if I want to, if I could teach you how to build a bookcase, all you need to be able to do is draw a couple of rectangles and, and some circles and I can, I can show you how to make a Ikea-type bookcase that you're going to put together with no visible fasteners and all of that. Like, really easy to do. You just have to be a little open to learning something new. And, you know, again, this software makes it easy. Um, then when you get into the cam, you know, that there's it's a new world. you got a, a few things to learn. But I tell people you got to give it about a week. 
you know, if you really give it a week where every night you, you putz with your CNC machine for an hour when you get home from by the end of the week, because we have people that call and they're just like, this is too difficult. This is crazy. We're never going to figure this out and, you know, completely give up. And it's like, wait, just give it a couple more days. Two weeks later, they call me and they're already further ahead than I ever could be. Yeah, they're making Oh, once it, I got that down, it was nothing. Not like a light clicked. Yeah, I have customers that, that will be, you know, almost to the point where like they wish they didn't buy the machine and this, that, and the other thing. And then two weeks, three weeks later, they're they're sending me pictures of stuff they make where I'm asking them, hey, how did you program that? What what exactly did you use for a bit? You know, I'm asking them how they did it because it, it was really cool. So you gotta, you got when you get into this, you gotta know you're making a little bit of a commitment here. And it, it doesn't matter whose machine you buy, you know, you got you gotta expect that you're gonna need to, you know, make these decisions on which machine to buy. You know you gotta expect to uh, spend a specific amount of money. There, there are some things you're going to need to buy outside of the machine itself. And then there's some stuff you're going to have to learn like new software, like the machine control software. You know, once you, you make the file in a program like Vetric VCarve, you're going to have to output that file and then load it into your, your software that controls your CNC machine. And you got to learn that. That's not so not really difficult. None of this is difficult. None of it should ever be scary to anybody. But it's you know it is just something that you're gonna. And I have disagree. To learn. I, it is scary at first. When I walked in here for the first day, I looked at that screen like it was a three-headed monster. But it shouldn't be scary. And 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 it is. So people look at it, and it can be scary because it's something new, and it's it's uh, you're looking at a highly technical machine that you just spent a few thousand dollars on. But you if don't you take break it step it. by step, it right. becomes so easy. Right. And, and then, and it's funny because then people will say, geez, I don't know what I was ever worried about. Like it's old hat now on, on how they do it. Uh, and this happens day in and day out. This is for almost nine years we've been seeing this. And so I, I speak with a lot of confidence in knowing that it doesn't matter who you are. Now, maybe the only time I would be a little worried is if you're a person who's never used a computer. Um, you know, we're assuming that most people know how to like use a computer enough to open a program or check their email or do something like that. If you've never so much as touched a computer before, well, now you got another layer because there is no such thing as a CNC machine that doesn't use a computer of some sort. It's a computer numerical control machine. It's in the name. Um, so fortunately though, in today's day and age, um, I don't know a lot of people that don't use computers. I mean, I have relatives. On a very basic level. Yeah. You, you don't need to be a programmer. I have relatives in, that are, that literally live in like a uh, assisted living home that use a laptop every day. So like it's, uh, there's, there shouldn't really be any, and any kid today, you can't figure it out. Find a kid, find some three, four year old. They're going to show you, they'll school you on how to use a computer. Um, so, so there's that. And then the last well, there, there, believe it or not, there is still more. So now you've got your machine, you got your software, you got your tooling. And the next thing, you, you, what kind of material are you going to use? Um, you know, what do I want to cut? Do I want to cut oak? Do I want to cut pine and plywood, uh, foam, plastic? Um, and with each of those materials comes another set of things you need to learn. You know, there are specific cutting tools for cutting woods and plywoods and laminates and and plastic and aluminum you know so you, you have to you're going to have to learn okay i got to get this tool because i'm cutting this material and and then most manufacturers if you're if you're going with a reputable manufacturer they're going to have um what's called speed and feed 
settings for you to put into your software. And what a feed and speeds is, is feed is how fast you're cutting linearly through your material. It's usually in either millimeters per second, millimeters per minute, or inches per minute. Inches per minute is the most common here in the United States. Your, your, um, your speed, that's, that's your feed. Your sign we will tell people, look, here's, here's a rule of thumb, run this to start. And, and then you'll go from there because the la the one thing that they don't tell you in feeds and speeds is also your past step. So how much material can you remove at a time? So there's really three components to that. And that's why it's important to choose a company that has a good support system because you, if you go online, and you go to Facebook or in some forum or something like that, and it's not specific to a brand. Like you go to a general CNC Facebook group and you say, okay, I've got, I'm going to cut this job. It's Oak and I'm going to use a quarter inch end mill. You're going to get so many different uh, recipes for feed and speed and, and what you should do that your head's going to spin because one guy may get, tell you what to do. And he's got a, a four by eight industrial machine. Another guy's going to tell you what to do, but he's running a very light duty belt driven, you know, desktop beginner machine. So the, having the resource of the, uh, manufacturer is going to be key because you, you would, you know, on our machines, you call us up, we could tell you at any time, okay, this is the material, this is what you're doing. Here's what ML you should use. Here's what you should use for a starting feed and speed. And without even having to look it up, I could tell you what you need to do. Um, I tell people all the time, I've, I've cut 6061 aluminum from one manufacturer with one feed and speed setting and then another manufacturer, same 6061, and it was different results right. depending on that feed and speed. Now, it wasn't night and day, but it, it had to be tuned in. You would think it's the same material. It's the same exact thing, but you don't know what goes into that, that material, where it comes from, how much moisture is in there in, in the case of woods and stuff like that. Right. Um, but I consider that a little bit more intermediate. Yeah, that, I, I wouldn't say you need to expect that in the first couple of weeks. I would say once you start to dive in, then you can get really into certain bits or feeds and speeds like that. If you start with a two flute, you can get away with a lot of stuff. So I tell customers uh, that are that are beginners all always, I always tell them two things to do. Once you get your machine picked out, go to Home Depot or Lowe's and pick up a sheet of like one inch uh, rigid foam board, insulation board. You can find it in the insulation department. They usually have like one inch or two inch. Um, you can either will work. One inch tends to be a little bit more flexible, especially if you don't have a lot of Z height on your machine, then you know, you'll be able to fit one inch on there. You can cut the foam with just about any cutting tool. So you don't need anything fancy. So that, that two flute straight bit that I said you can get from Lowe's will work perfectly fine on foam. Uh, foam is forgiving. So, but it's rigid enough that it'll hold a shape. So it's not like cushion foam, like in your chairs or memory foam. It's, it's a rigid foam. So, um, you, it's, it's virtually impossible to break like an eighth inch or quarter inch bit cutting foam. Um, even if you set your feed rate too fast, uh, your chance still of breaking a bit are pretty slim. You're not going to ruin the machine. You're not, you're not putting an undue amount of stress on it. And it's, it's super cheap. And if you screw something up, I'd rather have your first four or five projects be cut out of foam and you make your mistakes on foam than putting a $30, $40 little piece of, of, of cherry or oak or something on the machine and messing that up. Because now the wood is a lot harder. Uh, you will break a bit if you don't have things set properly. Uh, you know, there's just a lot more to consider. So I always tell people, 
Go to go to Lowe's or Home Depot, pick up a two foot by eight foot piece of this foam board, cut it up into small chunks, use it on the machine, and b- make your projects from that. MDF works well for that too. MDF's a forgiving material. It does. MDF though is still hard, so if you don't get your feeds and speeds right, you can still break a bit. Um, Less likely, but it, it, but it can happen, and it's messy. Uh, MDF, oh, God, the yeah. dust is messy, well, so foam is just as messy. It is, but it's not as bad it doesn't get as airborne um i find it will, so it just it will turn your machine green though it'll, it'll definitely you yeah if you're using green phone you'll it'll stick to your machine and you just got to vacuum it off but so that's number one the number two thing i always tell people is go to go to amazon do a search for like eighth inch two flute end mills usually you'll find some for like uh, 10 10 end mills for like 15 bucks or something real cheap uh, no, they're not high quality. No, you're not going to get manufacturer support. That's going to tell you optimal feeds and speeds. This is not going to happen, but I would rather see you break a bit that you spent a dollar 50 on, than go and get a really good, like an Amana bit that, you know, an eighth inch end mill or compression end mill or something might run you $30 and you're learning with that. And you make a mistake in your machine and you snap that bit. It gets costly wasting money be, causes discouragement um and it's just not you want to take the pressure off right you want to you want to you when you you know when you hit i don't care what is on the machine even even if you're cutting in the air for the first time you still got a level of tension when you hit start for that very first time because you know you did all your work you you prepared you you got everything programmed properly but even today, every time I run like a new job, especially if I'm running something on an expensive piece of material, there's a little nervous factor going on until I, so a lot of times I will lower the feed rate on the, on the screen to like 20% until I'm sure that the end mill is going exactly where it, it's supposed to. And it starts, then I'll go ahead and I'll gradually increase it back to hundred percent. Now I have some confidence that everything is, I did everything correctly um, which is not always a great thing to do, depending on the material. You know, if we were cutting aluminum, if we were cutting plastic, lowering that to 20% could be shooting yourself in the foot there. Well, what I'll do a lot of times is I'll lower it down to 20% while it's traversing, mm. making it's rapid until it, because then when it lowers into the material, it's lowering in slower and I make sure that it's stopping. So in other words, if I'm taking an eighth inch pass depth out of some aluminum, I want to make sure that I did type... Point one two five and 12.5. 12.5 or oh, we've all been there. Right. So that's no fun. You know, and 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 while you can check and double check as much, you can run the simulator. Um, there are still those chances that you make a mistake. We're all human. So I that's why I like to lower it. And then once I start cutting, I'll go back to hundred percent because it's running at an optimal feed and speed for that particular end mill. So, you one know, of the biggest questions I get is, can I just slow everything down? You know, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm scared at first. Um, but, and I slowed it down and I'm still having issues. Yeah. That's terrible. Don't it's a spectrum. You know, there, there is a good range that you have to hit that good cutting. Whereas if you go too fast, it's not good. You go too slow. It's just as bad as going too fast. Correct. And, and that's, yeah, and that's, that's important too. That's another reason why I say go with the foam because with foam, especially with this rigid foam, if you want to run at 5% speed or you want to run 150% speed, it's not going to affect anything. But the worst you... that's going to happen, you're going to burn the foam. It's right. going to heat up a little bit, but it's not going to it's not going to chip weld to the cutter. You're not going to ruin your cutter. Right. Yeah, and you, even even burning, it it takes a lot to that particular foam, that rigid foam board because it's meant to be fire rated and everything else. It, it has a higher tolerance for heat. So if you are rubbing 
And rubbing is caused when you leave your RPM high and you don't move your end mill fast enough through the material. It starts to rub, causing friction, causing the end mill to heat up. Um, if you were to do that in a piece of MDF, which is another reason why I don't personally suggest MDF, because if you, let's just say you were cutting a quarter inch channel through MDF and you set your speed like super, super low because you think you're being safer doing that, but you don't lower your RPM accordingly and you keep your RPM high, you're going to cut and create an excessive amount of heat on that tip. And MDF has glue in it and there's, and it's sawdust really. So it doesn't take a lot for heat to build up for that MDF dust to ignite. And we've seen it happen. There's a lot of videos no, online. We've never seen that happen. We've seen it happen. Never. And, and there's videos online. Just do a search. I mean, it's, there's, there's tons of videos where you see people. Um, that's why we, we also don't recommend you leave your machine unattended. I say that jokingly because we had a little incident here where I left it on in a pickle. Yeah. And we came back and the MDF had smoldered. smoldered. It didn't ignite, but it was smoldering and give put some smoke in a room and you know it was a little bit of smoke. It it could have been a lot worse uh than it was. Um but yeah, it's just, you know, these are the things that so for beginners, use that rigid foam insulation. If you want you know, you could do whatever you want with the feeds and speeds to to your comfort level. But before you start getting into some materials, you know, these cheaper bits from Amazon, yes, they're going to be garbage. They're going to dull out fast. But while you're learning and if you're cutting through foam, it's not none of that's going to matter. Um, then when you're really confident and you start going ahead and start using real material, then go get real bits. Go to Start to specialize. Yeah, go to Amana, go to Tools Today, call them up, tell them what you're doing. They're going to recommend what end mills to use for that particular. They'll tell you what feeds and speeds based on the machine that you're using. And, and they're going to give you that. And if they they if you can't, don't go there or you order on Amazon from Amana or online and you don't speak to anybody, call us or email us and we'll tell you what you need to do for those machines. So that's another level. And then the last element of CNC, like there isn't enough, like, and it, certainly the intention of this podcast is not to discourage anybody. It's just to let you know that there is a little bit to do and a little bit to learn when you, when you commit to it. But the last thing is work holding, right? So you got your machine, you got your software, you got your tooling, you picked out your material that you're going to run. Uh, but now you got to hold the material down and you can't, if you can't hold it, you can't cut it. That's just the way it works. So you, you, how are you going to hold that material to your machine? Are you going to clamp it? Are you going to use vacuum? Are you going to use double side tape, blue painters tape, and CA glue? Um, you know what what method are you going to use? Uh, plastic brad nails. There's there's a lot of different ways to hold material to your machine, and it's just another thing to keep in mind because most things you're going to cut on a CNC, you're always going to have to also factor in that you need a spoil board. And what a spoil board is, or also called a waste board, when you're cutting, say you're cutting a piece of three-quarter inch um, wood, and you want to cut that all the way out, with you're not ever going to just say, okay, I'm going to cut that, uh, you set your pass depth to 0.75, and you're going to be fine. Uh, because if there's any deviation, whether it be deviation on the machine, flatness of the machine bed, or thickness of the wood, which is the most common, you're going to find that you didn't cut the material all the way through. In some places, some places may be too deep. Some places may not be deep enough. Right. So you, you, you end up, uh, you know, you'll end up with like this paper thin 
layer wood that you then have to clean up. And so if you didn't remove the material and you see that it didn't cut through, you can go in and readjust and recut it again. But if you remove the material, now you, you're, now you can't put it back where it was. So you have to make other arrangements to cut that material out. So we always recommend cutting like 10, 15 thousandths deeper. So if you're going to do 0.75, I would do 0.765 just to be safe. And that's what I would set for your total cut depth. But in order to do that, you have to have a sacrificial piece of material under your work project, which we call a spoil board. And if you don't do that, then what will happen is when you're telling the end mill to go 15 thousandths deeper than the bottom of your work material, you're going to cut into your bed. And if you have a nice aluminum bed, you're going to destroy it. Um, if you have wood bed, it's you're going to destroy that. It's just never a good thing. So you're, you're always going to run like a quarter inch piece up to three quarters, probably the most common. MDF is the material of choice for spoil boards because it's rel it's always pretty flat. It's consistent um, and you it's no grain to it. So it doesn't matter what direction you cut into it. Uh, and you're it's only porous. cutting. Yeah, and it's porous. So if you're using vacuum, you can, it's a great spoil board for vacuum. Um, but you're only cutting into it by a few thousands. So it's not like you you have to worry about um, cutting too deep and having any kind of smoldering issues or anything like that. But MDF is a great material for a spoil board. And um, that's so that's something that you'll have to think about. So when it comes to work holding, now you're kind of like got a sandwich, right? Like you got your machine, then you got a spoil board layer that has to be held securely to the machine. And then you've got to hold your work material securely to your spoil board. So how do you do that? How do you, what steps do you take? And again, it just depends on your machine. Sometimes you can use clamps and clamp everything down together. Sometimes you use vacuum and the vacuum will suck through the spoil board and hold the material down. You could use uh, double side tape and tape it to the spoil board to the machine and then use more double side tape to tape your material to the spoil board. That's always our, my go-to with beginners is just to get you started, just to get you going. Double side tape. Get, get a good roll of double sided tape and not all double sided tape is created equal. You do not want some sticky carpet tape that will never come up. Yeah, absolutely. You want a good medium of holding, but that will also come up when you're ready, you know, and just, that'll get you going for as much as you need. And then once you start to specialize and find, you know, maybe you're like Eric. Maybe you create a custom fixture for everything you do because you're doing it a hundred times. Right. Um, if you're doing a one-off and it's you know you're just playing with the machine, then yeah, by all means, uh, just use some double-sided tape. It's never fun to go through on a profile cut to double-sided tape because it gets a little gunky. It, it kind of scars the edge of the material sometimes. Like if you were to do acrylic, if you do, if you double-sided tape that down and cut through, it will make the edges kind of brown. Right. Um, because, because the tape comes up. up the end mill. But it's good to start. It's good just to get going and. So if you were going to do that, then the other way to do it would be blue painter's tape and CA glue because that has less, it's less likely to gum up. Um, but again, uh, you know, this, uh, w this podcast episode was never to talk about the very specifics. It was just to give you the generalizations of things and steps and stages of going and getting a CNC router and, you know, what to expect. Now, all that said and done, there are great communities online where, where people will help you out and give you ideas and stuff. Uh, definitely recommend choosing a manufacturer that has a very good support department so that when you get stuck on a Friday night um, before the weekend and you've got all these plans of things you want to make this weekend, and as soon as you get home on a Friday night, you can't something's not working right or you can't figure out your, your software or what speeds to run, and now you got to wait till Monday morning to call somebody, you know, 
ask that question, get run that scenario by the manufacturer that you choose. Will they have somebody that can help you out over, over a weekend, over a holiday, you know, that sort of thing. Um, especially at the beginning, especially when you're first starting. Cause I, I think our customers can attest to this, that we often find that the problem is not this big catastrophic end of game issue. It's, it's something very simple, you know, and just yep. to be able to have someone that picks up the phone on the other end there or gets back to you, it's invaluable. Yeah. I know I'm a little biased here. I'm the customer support manager, but man, I can't tell you how many times people have called and just one little thing gets them going, makes that difference. And it's, it's like a whole new person. It's a whole new business. It, yeah. Nothing upsets me more than when I buy something and you know, I'm working all day. So the only time I have a chance to play with it is at night when all the companies are closed at five o'clock or uh, on a weekend when everybody's closed from Friday to Monday. And then I have to make time out of my day to call support, to get the answer I need on Monday. And then I got to wait till I go home that night to try it. It's, it's a real pain. And so, we're not, we're not pretending like we have 24 seven support here because we don't, we, no, we, we work don't. normal hours, but everyone here is invested in this company and we, we keep an eye, you know, we keep an eye on everything. If it's something that we can help you with, that's going to make your weekend. Believe me, you're going to get a call. You're going to get a quick email. Right. If it's something that's going to take a couple of days to figure out, or you want to do a, a training session or whatnot, then at least we'll get back to you and we'll let you know, okay, we have to schedule this for during the week or whatever. So again, these are questions you should be asking and, you know, make sure also that sometimes companies will just say stuff just to get a sale. So if you ask, yeah, can, uh, can, can I get a hold of you on a Friday night? Uh, yeah, of course you can. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. And then you actually need to get a hold of somebody one on, at 5.05 on a Friday night and you get voicemail and never call back until Monday, you know, Talk to people, make sure that you are getting what you say, you know, what you've been committed to, because that that's important. Yeah. And it's not just the, the company, it's the community as well. Right. I mean, the CNC, the maker community is massive and, and incredibly helpful. And you know, look, take a look. Do they have a Facebook group? Do they have a customer group where the customers communicate and, and reach out to each other? Our our Facebook group is fantastic. You know, they, they help each other out. We're, we're involved in there. Let's see. You know, see where their ecosphere is with help. Do they have YouTube? Are they online? Do they have a presence? Right. And that's, you know, those are all, all really important things to consider. But, uh, you know, our, again, our goal here was not to discourage anybody. It was just more or less to make you aware. Um, I've been told by customers that they've called other companies and, you know, they're, they're like, oh, they told us it's so magical. You just plug it in and just fairies and, and unicorns fly out of the machine and make anything you want. And then they're very discouraged to find that they were kind of sold a bill of goods, that it, that it's a lot more involved. And I'd rather be upfront with people to know that and, and let everybody know, but we're going to be here through that journey with you to support you. And also to reassure people that it's not, we're not talking about a six month learning curve. We're talking about a couple of weeks, usually on average, depending on how much time you have to dedicate to it. Um, but that's important to keep that in mind so that you don't end up regretting a purchase decision and, and buying a machine that, you know, will fit your needs today. And maybe two years from now that fits your budget that has the options today and in the future that you might want with the support department that's going to stand behind it, that the material you're going to get and what tooling company you're going to use and will they stand behind it? These are all very important things to consider. And 
you know, I just want to make sure that, that everybody's aware. And, you know, we, like I said, we had to break from our normal format this week. And I thought this was a good subject for Greg and I to discuss, um, to, you know, educate some people on, you know, maybe you already have a CNC. So everything we said is, you know, yeah, I hope this was helpful and it's not to, to turn anyone off, but if I had one piece of advice, it would be that in this industry as a whole, it's hard at first. The hardest part is getting started. Once you get past that initial, you learn the software, you learn to do a few quick things. I mean, you explode from there, yep. but you, you have to be able to weather that initial storm of it. Just, it can seem overwhelming. And if you do it right, it doesn't have to be. If you have someone that's there to help you, it really doesn't have to be, but it can be. Right. And as long as you know that, you know, that the company is there to stick with you, that you have a product that is absolutely capable of doing what you're doing, um, you get past that initial learning curve and it's worth it. Yep. Absolutely. So absolutely worth it. I hope that, uh, this was helpful, uh, for you. And, uh, like I said, next episode, we're looking forward to getting Bobby in the hot seat to see what's going on with his, uh, project. And, um, we should be having that one out next Tuesday for you. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you then. If he comes back from the sunshine, yeah, the know, wherever he's at, yeah, you may have lost him, but yeah, well, I don't think so, but uh, until next week, let's see. All right. Everybody, you have a great week, and thank you again for joining us, and we will see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to the Think It, Make It podcast. Be sure to tune in next time for more great CNC router content.